all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Happy spring to you, officially, even though I think we're under like a freeze warning or something tonight. But I hope all of you had a glorious Easter and had or are having a beautiful spring break for those of you who have school children. It's a big deal. If you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen me post a pic of me in my chair last week at the beginning of the week with my coffee, with my little dachshund, George Banks, in my lap, readying myself for a staycation for our spring break. That was right before I signed off from Instagram, and that's been at least a week at this point, if not a week and a half. And guess what? I'm totally okay. I haven't scrolled through any of your bright and shiny faces and seen what any of you are up to, and guess what? I still love you and I care about you. And I can just imagine all the things that you're doing without needing to actually see them. At least for a little while, y'all, I needed it. Not because I don't love seeing what all of you are doing with your life, but I just needed to live a little bit of mine without having to compare and mindlessly scroll and check in and wonder. I decided that it's not about self-protection. It's actually more about preservation, to preserve my own love for the life that I'm living right here in the now. For the staycation, I certainly needed it. The present that's right here in front of me, these glorious little bits of mundane that teach me so many things like nothing else does, and to just live this life with these precious people that God has entrusted to me It's been a good week. Our son Noah went to 30A for spring break with his friend Luke and basically the rest of Franklin, Tennessee. But Nate and I stayed here with the girls, and I'll admit that the morale was a little bit low at first as we were having to get the week going here in the cold and in the rain. But we made the best of it and really did try to make it count. The girls got to do a big shopping day with an emphasis on finding an Easter dress. Nathan was there to carry bags and get us Starbucks, which was actually pretty sweet to have him tag along. I think it's those things that the girls will look back on and remember that their daddy tagged along for that. Another big moment, which probably won't sound like that big of a moment to y'all, but the girls each got to get their hair done at like a legit salon, which was actually probably the highlight for them. Bowling, not so much the highlight. About midway through, we had to turn on the bumpers for Annie Rose as to not completely discourage her. That helped her a little bit, but she was still not a very happy camper. Her happiest camper night was actually the night that she got to go to Chuck E. Cheese with just Nathan and I. (laughs) Ellie got to do something special with our family friend Maggie in downtown Nashville one night, so we asked Annie where she would like to go, and she chose good old Chuck E. Cheese. Thankfully, on a Wednesday night when the rest of our town was at the beach, like I said, So we pretty much had the place to ourselves. And I think the three of us pretty much racked up almost 400 tickets, which, you know, got her like a couple of suckers and a bookmark. But I'm sure it will be a memory that she will keep in her little mind forever one-on-one time with mom and dad. There's nothing like it. But one of the nights, Nathan and I were craving Indian food. We've always gotten really sour faces looking back at us when we've mentioned it to the kids. So I decided to make a whole night of it, telling the girls it was going to be you know, a cultural experience. They were super excited, as you can imagine. <laughs> 
Okay, so it was probably a little bit selfish of me because I was craving it, but it actually turned out pretty fun. We went to this place here in Franklin, which is really kind of just an unassuming little place in a business area, but I had heard that it was authentic food and that the owner was really kind, so we just decided to try it out. The girls actually ended up liking it, which I'm so excited. I mean, I'm not saying that we're going to have Indian food weekly, but we did have fun. We pulled up funtrivia.com on my phone at the table, and I searched India. Yes, that was a total nerdy homeschool mom move, but it helped pass the time while the food was being prepared. If you've never had Indian food, you need to try it. And I will even tell you right now what to order so that you will not be overwhelmed when you get there. You just order two things. You need to get garlic naan bread. If you don't like garlic, just get the plain. That's spelled N-A-A-N. You'll see it on the menu. Garlic naan bread. And then just order a round of chicken tikka masala for the whole table. And be sure to ask for it mild if your kids cannot handle spicy stuff. But if you go to a really good Indian place that's authentic, the chicken... You should be able to cut it with a spoon. It's that good. And the sauce is so buttery and tomatoey and yummy. I seriously could have it every night, and you will thank me later for doing that. Anyway, we decided to extend our little Indian quest with a movie night with our 15-year-old Ellie. We rented a movie at home that I had seen before and loved called The 100-Foot Journey. It's about an Indian family who sort of gets displaced in this quaint little village in France, and they decide to open an Indian eatery. But the story is mainly about the oldest son who is a self-taught cook, and the journey he goes on to sort of find himself, who he is, and what he loves. And as you can imagine, getting to sort of be transported to a village in France for a few hours is not disappointing. The story is actually pretty sweet. It's one of those movies that's in that category that it gives something back after you've taken the time to invest in it. I mean, there are movies that are technically appropriate for kids to watch, but it doesn't mean that they actually give something back in return for the investment. But speaking of movies, one tool that I have found super helpful that my husband found is a handy little website called commonsensemedia.org. Commonsensemedia.org. I promise that this is not a commercial. I actually use it. I just use it, and it's great. It's not faith-based that I can tell, but they do shoot straight, and their aim is to aid families in navigating media, basically, of all kinds. You can find reviews on movies, books, TV shows, and even video games, and you can see exactly what kind of content is in the movie, both positive and negative. For instance, to see how much violence is in a film, it will give you like a three out of five or a five out of five. And then you can click on the violence section and read a whole paragraph or two on exactly what kind of violence you're going to encounter. There's a meter for sexual content, for consumerism, for drugs and alcohol, and you can even see exactly what kind of language is in the film. They will literally list out all the curse words in the film with little asterisks, of course, in the middle of the words, but it's just so that you know what you're up against. And they will also tell you of any positive messages or examples of role models you'll find in the movie you know, the part that actually gives back. But it's really great when your kids are asking to go to a movie with friends, but you haven't seen the movie, nor do you want to spend time seeing the movie. You can actually go on there and check out what you're up against. And it's just helped us actually make some decisions many times rather than just sending our kids in blindly and then never even knowing what they encountered. So anyway, I know it's random, but hopefully that will help you as much as it's helped us. 
Well, this week we are going to get back to our heart posture series. I loved getting to come around Easter together to remember the beautiful truth of abiding in Jesus, that we've been grafted into His very life, giving us a source that never dries up. Several of you commented to me that you loved imagining yourself inside that little knot, protected and covered. But it's even more beautiful that you're becoming one with Jesus in that place where there was once death, there's now resurrection life. So, so beautiful. As we've been examining these different heart postures, there is a theme threaded through, and that's that each of these postures readies us for the next. We've talked about the power of consecrating our hearts to God, how important it is to do this every day even. I've consecrated even this podcast to Him as I've been taking time to prepare it and record it. This is us telling the Lord that we are set apart for Him, no matter what season we are in, and we've determined that that can even be a painful season. A consecrated heart is a heart that then begins to look up. We begin to shift our gaze above our tunnel vision and look to God, the one who made us and loves us. Instead of sinking deep into our circumstances, we develop a heart that looks to God to meet the needs in us that only He can meet. And then this postures us to receive. This readies us to begin actually receiving from the Lord what we were meant to receive as His people. We talked about receiving that big word, validation. And we talked about even learning to receive our voice, which is really us operating in authority as a child of God, authority that is seasoned with humility. And when we begin to live in that place of authority that is seasoned with humility, our hearts begin to experience an overflow. Our hearts take the shape of gratitude. A thankful heart is birthed in us. It's so powerful to think, and I'm even just now realizing this as I'm saying it, but if we don't find ourselves sitting in a heart of thankfulness today, we can backtrack, can't we? So if there's a bitterness or discontentment or even impatience on our part and a lack of gratitude, we can look back and kind of say, okay, Lord, what am I not receiving from you? How am I not looking to you today for what I need? We can also go all the way back and say, God, I consecrate my heart to you again today. I've told you about the Ransomed Heart app that I use by John Eldridge. The daily prayer on there says, Jesus, I come to you now to be restored in you, renewed in you, and to receive from you all the grace and mercy I so desperately need this day. I honor you as my sovereign, and I surrender every aspect and dimension of my life totally and completely to you. I give you my spirit, soul, and body, my heart, mind, and will. Coming back to that kind of surrender each day really does keep us in this place of readiness to have a postured heart before God that changes us even in spite of our circumstances. My list of heart postures, as I've said, is not exhaustive. This is just what God has given me on my journey to help me remember how to live. It's a new way to live. God might give you a posture that's not in this list, and that's wonderful, actually. It might be something that He's specifically doing in you. Maybe it's similar to one of these words, but it's a word that helps you remember it in a deeper way or a fuller way, and that's what I love about the Holy Spirit. He reveals Himself to all of us in such specific and intimate ways. So even as we go, Ask Him if there's something specific that He wants you to be receiving from Him or how He wants you to be looking to Him today for what you need. He's that specific. So a grateful heart actually doesn't really come out of nowhere. We cultivate it with a heart that's consecrated to God. 
with a heart who looks to God for everything we need today, with a heart that's receiving from Him and remembering who we are in Him. And even our minds can be shaped around gratitude. There are studies about the human brain and how our thoughts work, and I've heard it likened to little trees in our brains, that our thoughts basically grow branches on top of nerve cells, and under a microscope, they actually look like trees. So think about how these postures change our thinking and how our thinking could grow a tree of gratitude in our brain. I want to build some framework around this posture of gratitude and maybe go into a little bit of an unexpected direction with it. I've been contemplating sort of the dichotomy of how gratitude can stem from both a life of surrender and even being one who is poor in spirit, as Jesus preached in Matthew, but also living in a place of abundance in the fullness that Jesus also said He came that we might live in. Gratitude in many ways comes from contentment. Yet, thinking it through, contentment comes from a settling down into who we are. And settling down into who we are takes us knowing where to get our needs met, as we've just talked about earlier. But getting our needs met is, yes, knowing where to go for that to happen, but it's also about knowing what those needs even are and how to express those needs to God and even the people who are closest to us. At Christmas time, I always ask our kids to write out a Christmas list because let's face it, I don't want to be out there buying flannel pajamas and house shoes and stuffed animals. Ain't nobody got time for that. I want specifics. So I asked the kids for their lists, and one of our children, who shall remain nameless, was kind of holding off on me. They were dragging their feet on giving me the list, and I couldn't figure it out. Well, finally, I get word from our nanny that she had the list, and she was told to give it to me. So in the car one day with this particular child, I bring up the Christmas list. I basically said to this child that I was not going to accept the list from Maggie. Then, kind of tipped off by the Holy Spirit, thankfully, I went into a spiel about, which is not really a spiel, it was very truthful, but, but about how part of us raising our children is helping them to get to a place of being able to humbly ask for what they want and for what they need, and to learn to be able to ask the right people. It's huge. I explained to them that Maggie was not going to be the one going shopping and buying all the Christmas goods. Mama and Daddy are going to be doing that. It was such a good conversation. We got to talk about how one of the main ways that we learn to care for our heart is recognizing our desires and our wants and being able to voice those. There are so many beautiful encounters in the gospel that Jesus had with people. In fact, I have been going through my sister-in-law's study again, Kristen Hill. She wrote, Go and Tell No One that I've told you about before, and she so beautifully camps out on these encounters. In fact, things that I would have maybe just normally blown through or gone to the next one, she's like, okay, so let's dig into this a little deeper. And the things that she so beautifully pulls out of these encounters have been bringing such life to my heart right now all pointing to this inner life with Jesus that we were meant to have all along. This is a commercial actually right now, so go get the study. I mean, she didn't ask me to do a commercial. I'm just doing one right now, even though I think she said it's actually sold out on Amazon, but they're supposed to get more any minute. 
Go and tell no one. You can get it on Amazon. Anyway, back to the Jesus encounters. In Luke 18, Jesus heals a blind beggar. It says in verse 35, as he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. So this beggar begins to cry out to Jesus in the crowd and the people around him basically tell him to shut up. But he cried even louder after that. He desired something. He wanted something. If Kristen was picking apart this encounter, she'd tell you that there was a reason why he was crying out to Jesus, calling him the son of David. And there's a reason why when he came near and Jesus asked him basically, what do you want? The beggar then calls him Lord. And he says, I want to see. It's so vital that we learn to express what we need and what we desire and who we express that to. Even though the Christmas list was kind of a silly little example, it represented much bigger things. And I knew it needed to be a teachable moment. Sometimes we can shut our own selves down out of fear of rejection. Ultimately, there's actually pride at the root of that. We don't want to be told no or to be let down. I've been amazed since we had that conversation around the Christmas list how this particular child has expressed to me much more freely now that they've been given permission almost to boldly come to us for what they need and want. It's been a gift to me as a mom to hear those things. It hasn't been a burden So imagine if me, an earthly parent, actually finds joy in knowing what my child wants and desires and how I can make some of those things happen for them. How much more does your Heavenly Father love hearing from you what it is that you want? Now, the want list for our kids right now, I will say, um, include a $1,200 camera for photography, an iPad Pro, a new drum kit, And soon we'll have two drivers in the house. And I'll just tell you that the words Jeep Wrangler get thrown around quite often. So (laughs) part of knowing the want list is also a teachable moment all on its own. Sometimes we simply shouldn't have everything we want right away. And we simply can't. And sometimes as a parent, we get to help steward what even that looks like to wait on some big things to save for some big things. And we can help build appreciation and hopefully one day joy and gratitude when some of those big moments might actually become a reality. Although we've certainly made it clear that the Jeep Wrangler will not happen unless they have a job and their own driveway to park it in. Nathan's shaking his head yes on that. So... (laughs) So as I said, we're building some framework around this. So hold that side of the tension with me, that it's vital that we know how to express our desires and our wants to God, and sometimes those around us even. Nathan and I had a big discussion this week. It wasn't a fight, although there were some moments that it got a little bit tense. But in the end, we both just needed to express some things that we needed from each other. 
sometimes there are some things in relationships that we need the other to just see our hearts and see our desires. Children innately need specific things from a parent, mainly if you break it down, nurturing and love. Parents need specific things from their children. I'd say that honor is about as big as it gets. In a marriage, we need ultimately, for sure, communication. I know that for sure. And then it's going to vary quite a bit as these two people are merging their souls together. Yes, we need to let God meet the God needs in us, but we still need to use our voices in the authority that we have as children of God. But like I've said, seasoned and maybe actually dripping with humility as we approach each other, we do need to express our hearts to each other. Then James 4, of course, gives us great instruction if that doesn't work. And sometimes it doesn't. Then we then take it back to God. We take it to Him and we ask. We ask Him specifically. But in James 4, it says that the motive has to be right in the asking. So these needs and wants, it seems that God also wants these seasoned, seasoned with surrender. And we must be able to trace back to a motive, one that's pure. The hope and the goal here is a pure place of surrender in us that takes us back to the bare necessities. I'll never forget seeing The Jungle Book, and you know where I'm going, but when I was a kid, it came out on VHS, and I loved this movie, and I loved the songs, and I especially loved the Bare Necessities songs, so of course I had to look up the lyrics for you. But one part of the song, it says, Don't spend your time looking around for something you want that can't be found. When you find out that you can live without it and go along not thinking about it, I'll tell you something true. The bare necessities of life will come to you. What a profound filter to look at our wants and our desires through. Maybe some of them need to fall through that funnel of when you find out you can live without it and you can go along not thinking about it. What surrender. That's being free, isn't it? And then it says, I'll tell you something true. The bare necessities of life will come to you. So the other side of the tension is once we do know how to express our needs and our desires, and as I said, that's an important step, there's still a surrender in it. There's a placing on the altar of it. There's a freedom that comes even in the waiting. There's a contentment that rises up in our hearts that we've been heard, we've been seen. We're being nurtured by our Father, even in a no, not right now. We can find a thankful heart in that. I've told you before that one of my most freeing moments in my life was getting to the place where I was able to learn to thank God for what He has and hasn't given me. That was one of my biggest glorious and the mundane moments in my Honda Odyssey, driving along, bawling my eyes out, being able to thank God for even what He had not given me because He was letting me see all of a sudden His protection in it all. A new thankful tree was birthed in my brain that day, and I'm so grateful for it. A grateful heart becomes such a powerful weapon. It kills comparison and jealousy like nothing else can. Have you ever made the mistake of scrolling through Instagram just before bed and then you catch just one pic that sends you down this path of believing lies all over again? Those lies start to creep into your contentment. The moral of the story, of course, is don't scroll through Instagram before bed, especially if you have a history of it making you kind of spiral. <laughs> I have found that I can make those feelings of inadequacy completely vanish when I begin to thank God for who He is and what He's done for me. 
and I start to remember him on my bed, how faithful he is. Psalm 63, 3-8 through says, Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. And you can also Psalm 139 yourself to sleep. Dwell on the fact that you're fearfully and wonderfully made and that all your days were planned out before one of them came to be. When I get in that kind of thinking, different things start to rise to the top of my want list. Gratitude spills out for things like the unmerited favor of God that is my salvation, this gift of everlasting life that He freely gave me. All of a sudden, I can't stop thanking Him for it. I'm not usually lying there at night thanking Him for my car or my clothes or my house, although I am so grateful for those things, of course, but it's more that those bare necessities start to rise to my heart. Maybe it was a moment that I sensed God's Spirit around our dining room table that night during a conversation. Maybe it's gratitude that I got to go out and spot Annie Rose as she was teaching herself to do a front walkover in the grass on Sunday. It's hearing Noah play the drums in the basement through the rumbling of our wood floors. It's catching Ellie painting upstairs, listening to music, feeling God's delight over her. Maybe it's remembering that I do have a husband who loves me and cares about me and listens and wants to hear me out. Maybe it's just gratitude for getting to be on the other side of a heartache. Then I become thankful that I can still get to the place of being thankful towards the Lord for these things because I know that it must mean that somehow my heart has not grown cold inside of me. There's still breath in my lungs and a heart in my chest that sees who He is and what He has done for me. Even if it's fear that tries to set in when I'm lying face up in my bed, wondering if the world is going to hold together for one more night, gratitude comes and cuts that fear like a knife. Gratitude says, thank you, God, for how you have cared for me, and thank you that your mercies are going to be new in the morning. And somehow the heart begins to rest in the promise that He's going to be faithful through this night too. If there's anything I want to instill in my children, it's this posture of gratitude. My sincere hope would be that their minds and hearts would be filled with reflection in the night on how the Lord has blessed them and how He's come through for them, that they might remember Him on their bed because gratitude has this deep cry inside of it that seems to say, where else would I go but you, Lord? Where might I go to have it better than this? Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to His name. As I shared before, often thanksgiving is not the first thing that comes to my mind when I lie face up before the Lord to try to go to sleep. Plenty of things can come and cloud my mind before bed. And I wonder if that's why Hebrews says that it's a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of lips that give thanks. Maybe that means that it's outside of our normal thought pattern and routine. And sometimes we even have to trace it all the way back to that place of consecration, like we said before, which let's just call it prayer here. 
these postures, they are just a way really to live in conversation with God, in communion with God. It doesn't have to take a few weeks to get back to consecration. It can take one sentence that comes from your heart. God, I set my life and my heart apart for you alone today. Sometimes that does take extra effort, though, doesn't it, to just even clear out a space in our heart. But I often find that speaking it out makes my heart follow. So the fruit of thankful lips, sometimes that can mean having to let go of the luxury of self-protection or even self-soothing methods that we have adopted over the years. I mean, let's face it, the woe is me approach sometimes just does feel better in the moment, but it's not sustainable. That pint of ice cream we use to pat ourselves on the back for making it through the day at some point is going to start showing up in all the wrong places. And let's face it, dressing in layers isn't going to be a thing just here in a few weeks, so there's no hiding it. Or maybe we get out the measuring stick at night, and we lay there, and we measure ourselves a different way by all that we did or didn't get done that day. I don't know about you, but there are times that I just make the wrong choice because, let's face it, it's just funner sometimes to feel sorry for ourselves and wallow in some self-pity as we pull the covers over our heads. Maybe a few big crocodile tears hit the pillow because things just didn't go our way that day. And instead of taking our cares and casting them on Jesus and recognizing and remembering and then thanking Him for the way that He's fathered us, we cry ourselves to sleep and choose to believe that no one understands and we're all alone. And we even punish the people closest to us because we choose to believe that they will never understand us either. I understand that some tears that hit our pillows are from real wounds and real pain, and I'm not belittling that or avoiding that reality. I'm just talking about those moments when we literally choose the wallowing over worship. We choose to shut down instead of talking to our Creator about what's troubling us. As we get in the habit of gratitude, bit by bit, it begins to shift our gaze from all the have-nots to a cry deep in our hearts that simply says, God, thank you. How could I ask for more? Gratitude is birthed out of this kind of reflection. It's almost like we're able to have on the tip of our tongues how He has been faithful to us. Maybe that's how we use our iPhone before bed. Pull out your notes app and list all the ways that He's been faithful that day and what you're going to choose to thank Him for. Psalm 9-1 says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. The beauty is that gratitude rises up from reflection and remembrance, but it also powerfully keeps us in the present. Sometimes we can get really caught up in waiting on all this future stuff while really amazing things are happening right around us in the present. We just had this conversation the other night with our kids as we have a junior in high school who already has senioritis. (laughs) Sometimes moments can pass us by because we're just trying to get to that next moment. We think when this happens or that happens, then things are going to be different, and I'm going to be able to be thankful and do a happy dance then. But the kingdom of God is so upside down, isn't it? What if it's the sacrifice of a happy dance right in the middle of the waiting that brings a contentment that swells up and fills our heart so full that we're just like, wow, seriously, how could I ask for more? 
I think I've shared with you before out of the Pursuit of God book by A.W. Tozer. There's a chapter in that book called The Blessedness of Possessing Nothing. And in that chapter, he says, the blessed ones who possess the kingdom are they who have repudiated or refused to accept every external thing and have rooted from their hearts all sense of possessing. (laughs) Hang with me here. Um, He says, these are the poor in spirit. They have reached an inward state paralleling the outward circumstances of the common beggar in the streets of Jerusalem. That is what the word poor as Christ used actually means. These blessed poor are no longer slaves to the tyranny of things. They have broken the yoke of the oppressor, and this they have done not by fighting, but by surrendering. Though free from all sense of possessing, they yet possess all things. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love this so much because the truths of God always work in every economy. It's how you can visit third world countries and meet people in complete poverty, but yet see the smile of God on their face and on their life. This is because they've tapped into the blessedness of possessing nothing, but yet they possess all things. I've shared with you before the song of mine that I wrote with Ellie Holcomb called Everything is Mine in You, which was written out of 1 Corinthians 3, but it says, everything is mine in you, even when my heart is breaking. Everything is mine in you, Jesus, even when my hands are empty. Everything is mine in you, because you are master over all, and you say that you are my inheritance, and in you I have everything I need. It's in this surrender that we start to get replenished and filled up, even in just the bare necessities of life. The smile of God begins to visit our face. I remember reading somewhere about the smile of a woman and how it can actually change the world around her. So sometimes I actually try it, especially in places where you really don't have much of a reason to be smiling, like boarding an airplane. Sometimes I'll just try it. I'll board the plane smiling for literally no reason. And you should see the reaction I get. You wouldn't believe the stares from both men and women. I'm sure they're literally like, what's her deal? (laughs) But you should try it sometime and see. I also know that my husband tells me often how he'll watch our kids respond to my face. If I've got that furrowed brow going and I'm contemplating and I'm biting the inside of my bottom lip like I do when I'm thinking or when I'm worried, the kids are going to tiptoe around and they're going to go do whatever it is that they do when they worry. Whereas if mama's smiling, it changes everything. Yet so much comes against a woman's smile from the plains of Africa all the way to the hills of Tennessee. But it's a bare necessity that can literally change the world around you and change the heart inside of you. Because to reach that point where the smile of God might visit your face, you've done some posturing somewhere in that heart of yours that has worked its way to your countenance. And the simple act of smiling is now causing everyone around you to ask, what's her deal? (laughs) There's a song that I recorded on Be Held, Lullabies for the Beloved, called How Could I Ask for More? I actually didn't write this song. This song was released my senior year of high school, and I'll never forget the first time I heard it. Sometimes as a songwriter, even though I was just a beginner at the time that I thought this, but when I heard it, 
I felt left out in a weird way. Part of that is acknowledging that it's a great song, and part of it is just wanting to be a part of something that good as a songwriter. But a beautiful lady named Cindy Morgan wrote this song. I remember Cindy winning New Artist of the Year in 1993, which was the same summer that I got reacquainted with Nathan Knockles. Nathan and I had met each other before and had several mutual friends, but all of it came together one beautiful summer night at the YMCA of the Rockies in Estes Park, Colorado. Many of you podcast fans from the beginning, you've heard the whole story. But I'm filled with gratitude and emotion thinking back on that time. My parents had borrowed a conversion van from some friends of ours to make the long trek to Colorado. I remember we had to have a garage sale just to be able to buy food and gas along the way. We really weren't at that time in any position to be taking a vacation or signing me up for an expensive seminar. But there was something in all of us that knew that it was right somehow. I didn't know what was going to happen, but somehow I I knew the trajectory of my life was about to change. I could literally feel it in my bones. I remember it. All the way there, you could find me stretched out in the back seat of that van, which my dad had folded down the seat in the back and converted it to a bed, which that's why they call it a conversion van, I guess. But I was taking full advantage of the amenities while blaring music from my Walkman. And if you're a millennial, that's like a little contraption that allowed you to play a cassette tape on the go before there were MP3 players and iPhones. But one of the songs that would roll by on my playlist the whole way there was How Could I Ask For More? I laid there looking out the window as Oklahoma and Kansas blew by until we saw those Rocky Mountain peaks begin to appear. I recall very vividly that the entire trip felt like one big reflection on what was and what was yet to come. So this song, In the Sweetest Way, is wrapped up together with meeting my husband and meeting my future face-to-face, really. Little did we know that only about seven years from that time, we'd be touring with Cindy Morgan and would consider her a friend and a colleague. Cindy is a deep soul and an incredible writer to this day. But one of the things I've always loved about Cindy is how down-to-earth she is. In fact, she is a country girl through and through. I remember being on the bus one time as we were all kind of whining to the tour manager that we were super hungry, and Cindy declared to all of us, y'all, I am so hungry, I could eat the hind end out of a rag doll. And we all just fell out laughing. And she just looked at us like, what? All that to say, after all those years that I had admired Cindy from afar, hoping to one day get to do what she was doing, it was so refreshing to get to know her up close and see that she was kind and that she was just true to who she was. When I think of lullabies, I think of songs that cause not just our bodies to rest, but our hearts and our minds to be set at ease. This song has always had that effect on me, causing me to reflect on the simple, bare necessities that bring the smile of God to me. It makes me think of those times putting our kids to bed after a long summer day. As children, they hollered their wants and desires to me all day long with no inhibition. Then at night, hopefully after being nurtured and even in the no, you can't have that right now, they hopefully felt loved but they laid their busy little bodies down and mama's smile was enough. 
Daddy's Tuck-In, which is snug as a bug in a rug, I might say. He still does that with Annie Rose, which is hilarious because he tucks her in so tight, literally creasing her bedspread underneath every part of her legs. Like she looks like a cocoon when it's all said and done. And then he walks out and then she just unravels it all so mama can tickle her back. It's the bare necessities that are just everything when you're a kid. Some of you might listen through And this song might be a little bit painful because maybe your childhood was not the quintessential childhood that you kind of think your friends might have had or maybe that this song talks about. Maybe you weren't nurtured. You didn't maybe have even the bare necessities. So I encourage you to bring it all to the present. The grateful heart reflects, but the grateful heart is also, as I said before, very much in the present. It lives in today. It lives in how is God redeeming your story right now? Maybe you're the mama now. What's coming against your mama smile? How can you now grow a new tree in your brain and in the brains of your children as you choose to ready yourself to have a grateful heart? If you don't have children, maybe it's just a moment for you to let your heart look up to your father and receive from Him all over again everything that you need today. I have to believe that a heart of gratitude is going to rise up in you if you do that. There's nothing like the warmth of a summer afternoon Waking to the sunlight and being cradled by the moon Catching fireflies at night Building castles in the sand Kissing mama's face goodnight And holding daddy's hand Thank you, Lord How could I ask for Barefoot through the grass, a little hide and go seek. And being so in love that you can hardly And dancing in the dark when there's no one else around. Being bundled neath the covers, watching snowfall. So if there's anything I've learned 
this journey we're on Simple truth will keep you going And simple love will keep you strong Cause there are questions without answers And flames that never die And heartaches we go through are often blessings in disguise So thank you, Lord oh, Thank you, Lord How could I ask for I love that line in the third verse that says, so if there's anything I've learned from this journey we're on, simple truth will keep you going. Simple love will keep you strong. I hope that's what you've gotten a good dose of today. Simple truth and simple love. Remembering the way to really live. Strip away everything that seems so complicated and take it back to the basic things of life today. That one sentence spoken from your heart to God, even right now, can change everything. Maybe it's just, thank you, Lord. Thank you for listening today. If you are a patron of this podcast, be sure to go to the Patreon app for further study around today's topic with your journal prompts. If you'd like to become a patron of this podcast, which means that you are an official backer and you help us get this thing done and it blesses us so much, you get the podcast before the rest of the world, as well as a lot of other things. And you can visit patreon.com slash Christy Knuckles to find out more about that. With a big smile and a grateful heart for all of you, I hope you have a glorious day and I'll talk to you soon.